Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Wolves Weekly with Mikey Burrows, featuring the biggest names from past and present. Hello there, I'm Mikey Burrows and welcome to another episode of Wolves Weekly and it's a press pack special. I'm joined by Daniel Kahn from Sky Sports News and the Express and Stars' Nathan Jude. We'll talk about deadline day and exactly what goes into reporting on it and the results that came from Wolves' perspective. Plus, we'll talk about how Gary O'Neill is coping with the added interest that Wolves' recent run of form is bringing and why this team is making even some of the journalists start to think about where they might go. But first, here's Daniel Kahn on deadline day. There wasn't a lot going on on deadline day. I think we all thought that going into it as well. I did deadline day at Wolves last January as well and nothing had already been done because Jao Gomez and Paulo Sarabia already signed for the club. So it was a similar kind of feeling thinking, okay, not much is going to happen today. But actually at Wolves, even though there wasn't a lot going on across the league, Armando Breuer's story was the big one on deadline day in terms of big moves around the Premier League. And you know, in terms of like lives and going on the telly to talk about it, it kind of depends on how fast the news is going. And, you know, luckily that story was the big one on deadline day. So I was on most of the day on Sky Sports News, which was great. But it's really interesting because with this window, of course, not many teams could spend a lot of money. So then you think in that Breuer case, for example, how desperate are Chelsea to get rid of someone like Armando Breuer? And then where does that leave teams like Wolves and Fulham negotiating for him. So it was a really interesting case in that sense. Um, and it was really interesting to cover as well to see where he was going to end up. I mean, it, it's changed a lot, hasn't it? Like the the kind of peak heyday of it, I guess, was Peter Odderwingy arriving at QPR <laughs> and kind of even though they weren't even trying to buy him and, and the, the fans that used to gather outside and all that kind of stuff. Like uh, when you're kind of preparing at Sky Sports News for a deadline day like has it changed a lot over the last couple of years because because transfers itself is different i guess now yeah absolutely i think you know visibly it has changed when you look at say what deadline day was on sky sports news you know five ten years ago where we're at every club etc but 
I think, as you said, the windows have changed as well, haven't they? I mean, you look at this one with all the financial restrictions clubs are under, there just wasn't as many deals going on. So, you know, luckily for me, you know, I was at the game anyway for Wolves Manchester United. And so that fell on deadline day, which I was pretty happy about because at least something was happening that evening. Um, but yeah, like you said, it has changed, but I think you have to move on with the market and the times. And I think it'll be really interesting to see the January market we've just seen. Is that a trend? And are we going to see the January market quite quiet going forward? Or was this just an anomaly? All the clubs get used to their financials and they'll continue to spend in the winter window. I think it'll be really interesting to see. This is quite a geeky kind of journalist type (laughs) question. But has the way that you report on stuff, do you think, changed? Because social media means that, that fans kind of know or think they know everything that's going on way before even probably the clubs have actually lined stuff up most of the time. Yeah, I think the interesting with social media is that, you know, everyone has their news uh, and their different sources that they trust. I remember last January, you know, with the Sarabia and Gomez deals, for example, you know, especially Joe Gomez, we know that dragged on, didn't it, all month really. Um, And, you know, I remember I actually put a tweet out saying that, you know, Jao Gomez isn't quite done yet. And this was like halfway through the window because my knowledge of that situation was, you know, there, there was a holdup. And and although it seemed like it was going to happen, you had other outlets saying it was done, it was done. And I had a lot of Wolves fans, you know, tweeting me saying, what are you saying? You're behind the times, you know, Jao Gomez is signed for the... And he didn't sign till the very end of the window. So I think sometimes you do ha- you do kind of think, well, is it worth, you know, all the hustle and stuff of the socials? But... You know, in in my eyes, I don't try and, you know, uh, be first or be the quickest. I just try and report what I know and what I know to be factual because the worst thing is, you know, for example, in the January that just passed, you know, I don't want to go on telly saying Wolves are looking for a striker or window and all the fans who are watching thinking, yeah, that's what they're doing. Oh, yeah, let's wait. Let's get excited for a striker. And it not happened, right? And, you know, and actually maybe Gary O'Neill's not looking for a striker. So, it's more, you know, for me, it's always accuracy. And that's, I, I know it sounds cheesy, but that's something I know all my colleagues and reporters care about as well is in a world of social media, you have fast, you know, you have reactive reactions. But if we can bring you kind of exactly what's happened, then hopefully people find value in that. Because I know that it's not just wolves that you cover. And I, I've seen it in the past whereby, you know, especially in a month like January, where you're under pressure to, to get transfer news and the managers don't want to talk about it. Uh, they want to talk about the games. And yet you've kind of got to get a list of, of maybe players that have been linked and, and all different things in it. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because I would argue, you know, actually when you look at the Midlands clubs, you know, I've spoke to Gary O'Neill quite a lot this month, or sorry, last month, January, about his striker search. And he's actually been quite open about it. I mean, you would have known as well, listening to him all month as well. He was pretty upfront saying, I want a number nine. We're trying. Uh, he said towards the end of the window, they had targets and they weren't financially possible. So I think, to be honest, he was probably as open as he could be in terms of with us in the media. I look at the likes of Nuno Espirito Santo and Nottingham Forest. He said he wanted to balance the squad and shape it to more what he wanted it to be with attacking options, I think. So again, he was pretty open. Um, so... Aston Villa, I don't think really going into this window, you would have thought they would have made a lot of transfers and they didn't really. I know they signed Morgan Rogers from Middlesbrough, but, you know, again, I think you'd probably say they needed another attacker and Unai Emery was able to do that. So 
I think some clubs, like you said, they, they can be quite cagey. And that, that can be frustrating, right? Because you know you're going to have to ask them every press conference and every time. But I think, actually, managers are quite accepting of it in January. And, you know, they, they don't necessarily want to say the same thing either of, you know, I can't talk about it. Because, actually, it may help them getting the message out in the media saying, oh, I need a striker or I'm happy to get rid of a few yeah. of these guys and stuff like that. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Nuno because, obviously, we have vast knowledge uh, of Nuno of and, and how um, a lot of the time he, he didn't like to answer repeated questions. And it, it struck me recently a couple of times I've been in press conferences after a game where Gary O'Neill, I don't know whether you found, he still he will answer pretty much anything. He will keep answering questions. If someone's taking the time to ask him, he'll give a full answer, even if it's very similar to a question he's answered already. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have to say... Um... You know, it it is actually really refreshing engaging with Gary O'Neill. And I'm not just saying that because I cover Wolves a lot or, you know, I speak to him a lot. But as you said, he answers everything. And especially after that Manchester United game, you know, it was deadline day, bear in mind as well. Let's not forget that. And in his post-match news conference, I'd have just lost, you know, to a worldie by an 18-year-old in Kobe Manu, right? Kobe Manu. And he's having to answer questions about deadline day. You know, why didn't you get Armando Breuer? Why didn't you, you know, and he answered all of them really respectfully and, the answer that really stuck with me was, you know, someone asked him, well, you didn't get a striker, Gary. You know, you spoke about it all month. But do you regret letting Sasha Kalasic and Fabio Silva go on loan? And he absolutely stuck to his guns and said, look, they, they wouldn't have played. Like, we absolutely stick by our decisions because they wouldn't have played. I thought in the summer when they were here, we needed a striker. So why would that have changed? You know, we want them to go play. But if they stayed, they wouldn't have. So that that's the reality of the situation. And, yeah, I just thought the way he answered that was brilliant because it was right on the nail. You know, he I think a lot of people were probably wondering that question going into that press conference after the game. And he absolutely batted it away and really backed the options that he has, like Nathan Fraser, for example. We talked in the past on the press back about um, when Gary did Monday Night Football and how and how that's kind of changed a lot of people's opinions. And I wondered whether it changed people's opinions within Sky. And especially now the run of form that we've been on, do people kind of in your office, are they kind of like going, oh, yeah, let's let's have a bit more of that on there. Let's show a bit more of them. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can't speak for everyone at Sky for sure. But I do think, <laughs> but I think as you said, though, I mean, just around the industry, to be honest, I think, you know, from colleagues in the Midlands pack to even just going to away games, right? When you speak to other media and everyone really, whether it's in Sky or outside of Sky, I think that really did change people's perceptions. And I think the openness Gary O'Neill spoke with, you know, that insight where he showed some of the training footage. I mean, that's so rare to have that gold dust where you get to see how, you know, in the media at Sky, right? We get to see 15 minutes of open training of every club once a month, right? And that's always just the warm-ups and, you know, but to see actual tactical work for a game like Gary O'Neill showed us, I think was so insightful. And I think he got a bit of criticism, didn't he? Because I think a few people thought, oh, are you being too open here? You know, your team are going to get found out now. Well, clearly that hasn't happened. So um, all kudos to him for sure. And um, final question on deadline day. Yeah, um, I know. 
I know you were there all day. Did we give you any biscuits? Did we did we sort you out a cup of tea? <laughs> yeah, I have to say, the media team at Wolves, again, not just like this, but I've seen them a lot, but uh, they they took care of me a lot. Shout out to Sarah on reception at the training ground, you know, really, really took care of me, got me coffees and everything, and yeah, lo- lovely. So everyone took care of me very, very well. Much appreciated. Wolves Weekly with Mikey Burrows. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So Nathan Judah uh, alongside myself and Daniel Kahn. Um, Nathan, we have to talk, first of all, about Chelsea. You and I were there. We were. Simply remarkable. Perhaps the best performance of the season, maybe. I'm still on cloud nine. It is quite unbelievable. I could not get to sleep last night watching goal after goal after goal. There were two teams. One was a billion pound squad and it wasn't Chelsea. That was sensational. Mikey and Dan, I mean, look, I've been thinking about this and I've been doing this job now for the Express and Staff about nine years. And genuinely, in terms of a performance on the road, I think that's up there with the very best in the last decade. It was sensational. Maybe not result, because there's, there's been some incredible results. Um, Mike, you'll know when they went to Bajiktas and then they've come back three days later, they've gone to Manchester City and won against the Premier League champions. So, so there's been great results. But from a performance point of view, and watching that game back, from minute one to minute 100, because there were 10 minutes, somehow 10 minutes of injury time, that was the most complete performance back and forth. To go one goal down after the agony of Thursday night against Manchester United and to score four unanswered goals at Stamford Bridge was quite sensational. Uh, I mean, there have been big results. Um, I I look at winning at Manchester City with the Damatreore's kind of two goals, Mm -hmm. but but they were breakaway goals in a sense when when City were, were dominant in the game and Wolves had a couple of other chances in the match, but it was kind of, that was the story of it. You know, they they had a, an amazing win, the, one of the final games before COVID, away at Tottenham, which was 3-2. And you, the memories mm. of Raul Jimenez cutting back in and curling it in to, to win the game. But I think when you add in the context, Dan, of what happened on Thursday night, that to me adds to it, to be able to bounce back when you've suffered the heartbreak that they did. Absolutely. And I think this has been, you know, when I speak to fans around Molyneux or, you know, go to the away games as well, again, speak to the fans, you know, I think that's one thing they're so proud about this team is the 
put the results on the side just for a second, right? Because there have been some incredible results for Gary O'Neill on this side this season. But it's the fact that the fans have hope again. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but so many fans I've spoke to this season when, you know, the last few years, if we're 1-0 down, we have no hope coming back. You know, we, we don't see our team fighting back and getting back in the game. But now we could be 1-2, even 3-0 down, and we have hope because we see the fight, we see the aggression this team show. And I think it was really telling that Ben Chilwell says after the game, Chelsea captain, by the way, for the day, Wolves wanted it more. You know, we, we wanted it, but they wanted it more. And as Nathan said, to lose the way they did, they also conceded really early against Manchester United as well, remember, with that Rashford goal. To have a similar setback against Chelsea and mentally get back and just dominate, boss the game in midfield. João Gomez's first game after suspension I thought was fantastic as well. I think it just really shows the character of this team and what Gary O'Neill's been able to build in still a relatively short amount of time. It, it, the, there's a couple of remarkable things that, that stand out. Um, Nathan will know that um, I, Dan, uh, <laughs> I'm, very, I'm, I'm very geeky in the stats that, that I look up. Um, and I, I'd been keeping a note of something for an awful long time, which was the amount of times that Wolves had scored two or more in a Premier League game since COVID. Because everyone used to talk about up till COVID, Wolves were this swashbuckling, amazing counter-attacking team. And it had kind of slowly dried up through a period. So up until the Brentford game over Christmas, Wolves had played 142 Premier League games since COVID, the restart. And they had scored two or more in just six of those 142. Since then, including Brentford... They have scored two or more in four out of the last five games in the Premier League. And obviously it was Brighton, the goalless draw, that kind of takes away that record. That's stunning, right? And, and they've done it without actually their top scorer for the mm. season, Nathan. I was going to say, you know, you've got your top scorer in Huang Chan who's gone away. You know, I'm sure, as you've talked about deadline day, you know, you missed out on, on the number nine. But when you're scoring goals like that, um, at the rate that they are, um, it, it's quite, it's quite stunning, really, and they deserve it. And I think I think Dan made a good point. Ment- mentality is huge in this team. They're working for each other. There are, I said, I said in a tweet yesterday, they're a likable team. They're a likable team to watch. You want, you're rooting for them. They're a young, they're a passionate. Gary Neal said they're an emotional side, but they're feeding off each other's energy, and you can see that in the crowd. In in the connection Gary O'Neill's got. And there are goals. And, you know, I think that Wolves have probably been a victim of not shooting enough recently. And yet you see yesterday the first two goals, both deflections, but you've got to shoot if you're going to have a chance. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, I know Ryan Aknori's, I think, was eventually, was it disaster on goal in the end. But if you don't shoot, you're not going to create those opportunities. And I felt like not only did they, you know, dominate possession at times, but they shot, and sometimes they've been guilty of that. And that's when you are going to score goals, when you're creating chances. And they're a menace. They really are, up and down the pitch. I mean, I've got Mario Lamina scoring goals this season as well. You know, the defenders have started scoring goals. Dawson, Kilman, I think they've been guilty of doing that. They, they can score goals from all over the pitch. And it's just taken, I think, that bit of belief from the manager and the fans getting behind them to show what they've done in the last four to five games. And on that point as well, I mean, Mikey, that stat is incredible. <laughs> like that is yeah, that, it's, it's that, astonishing. That, that, in more ways than one. 
But, I mean, I'll make it even more simple terms. I mean, they're still Wolfside. They, they were bottom goal scorers in the Premier League last year, right? I mean, just on yeah. the pure basic level, right? They didn't score. They didn't... I mean, the three relegated teams scored more goals than Wolves last year. And that was a team that... I know we can talk about departures all over again. I'm sure you spoke about this this season. But that was a team with Ruben Neves. Jean Martino played his fair share of games. I know Adam Achori was in and out of the team. But on paper, you'd say probably had a bit more firepower, right, as a squad. But you look, again, I, I, I know I probably sound like a broken record, but what Gary O'Neill has done with this team to get goals... I mean, Nathan, you'll know, we were in press conferences earlier in the season and the questions we would ask Gary are, how are you going to score goals? Mm-hmm. How are you going to get goals in this team? You know, you don't have a recognised striker. What are you going to do with Fabio and Sasha? And he said, like, look, it's about the whole team getting goals. It's about everyone contributing in the creative phase. And as you mentioned that, I mean, I actually spoke to Craig Dawson uh, ahead of the Chelsea game, and I asked him, says a kick assist against Manchester United for Maximilian Kilner. I mean, he would have said it. I mean, that is, you know, them pitching in. Ryan Aitnori, as you mentioned, I mean, all of these players have stepped up under Gary O'Neill, and they're all much better for it in terms of going forward. It's um, six more goals already this season than the entirety of the last campaign. There was a, a tweet that came in to me uh, at the end of the game, Nathan. It wasn't me, was it? Uh, no, it wasn't you. No, you don't. You don't message me on social media platforms anymore. Thank goodness. Um, no, it was um, it was somebody who basically said, "How does He Chan Wang get back in that team?" I mean. Look, it's going to be very harsh on on probably Pablo Sarabia or or Bellegarde, depending on one of the two. But you know he does come back in, but it might take him a little bit of time. I mean, you look at Jao Gomez, as Dan said, was was superb, but he got suspended. Everybody thinks he's going to walk back in, and then Tommy Doyle steps up and has done brilliantly and can count himself very unlucky to not have started yesterday, but he did, and he did the business, and he was superb and laid off a couple of challenges to I think it was for the first goal for for Cunha to score. And you've got to take your chance. And if you don't take your chance, then people are kicking at your heels. And yes, this might be a small squad, but they're all performing. Pablo Sarabia was was out in the cold for a long time and he forced Gary O'Neill's hand. But it just shows the character of what he's producing at Compton. Because let's be honest, Pablo Sarabia makes a decent amount of money. Makes I think does very, very well. He's played for PSG. He's done well at sporting. He could have just sat on the bench and taken his money and go, well, I'm not that bothered. But he wanted to get himself back in this team and scoring goals and prove himself because he wants to be in this. And then when they've got the shirt, they don't want to lose it. So I wouldn't be surprised if Wang Yi Chan comes back whenever whenever they do. I mean, look, they've been one minute from going out in the last two games. We could have had him back for Sunday at Chelsea. You know, we could have had him back for Brentford, but they keep on going and they're probably going to get to the final. But I don't think that'll bother this team. I don't think that will bother um, this set of individuals because they'll see it as an opportunity. And when they do, Huang might have to sit on the bench for a little bit and give Pablo Sarabi another go because that just the competition builds in that squad. And then when he does come in, then you've got options on the bench, which was very young yesterday, by the way. But if you've got Bellegarde on the bench, if you've got Sarabi on the bench, yes, they've lost, you know, Sasha and Fabio and they haven't got a number nine in, but you've seen the number, you know, people moving around in different spots in the number nine. We even saw Ryan Agnori the number nine yesterday at some point, <laughs> Pedro Neto went off. So there are options there. And it's a, it's just a great position to be in. Um, the pressure's think, off. The pressure's off. I, I was just going to say on that, just really quick, Mike, if you don't mind, that, you know, I mean, let's, again, let's put this into perspective slightly. Before Huang Hee-chan went to the Asia Cup, I think there were probably a few concerns because, as Nathan mentioned, there was no number nine who came in in the window. And I think there was probably a question mark around where the goal's going to come from. You know, are the team too dependent on Huang? 
I mean, this spell could not be better for Gary O'Neill and the rest of the squad to say, we can score without Huang. We're not overly dependent on him. And that's great news. Also, it gives Gary O'Neill options in the games going forward for the rest of the season. The fact you can experiment with Pedro Neto and play him further up the line, because there might be some games where you might have to see a bit more of a Chelsea performance rather than playing Huang and Cunha up front. It does give you options. And the fact that he can get through this spell without, I think, giving Nathan Fraser too much spotlight mm-hmm. too soon, I think is really good news. Because I think, ideally, and Gary has spoke to us as well, Nathan, hasn't he, about he doesn't want to bring him in too soon. He knows, you know, he's he trusts him, but he wants to really build him up slowly and slowly expose him to the Premier League. Because he knows he's going to need him at some point this season. But if the squad can get through the next few weeks, get Huang back it kind of slowly, you can slowly take your time with Nathan Fraser a bit more and kind of build him up to hopefully a really good player in this league. Listen, Nathan has a history of um, getting a bit carried away at times. No, come on. So, so uh, if he wasn't such a global traveller already, I'd say he was renewing his passport and contacting UEFA to sort his accreditation for whatever competition we might be in next year. Um, give us a more sensible view, Dan, as to, to how they might go about the last couple of months because they're on the edge of it, right? And had they got a result against Man United, people might have started talking at Wolves to be right in it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's hard not to be excited by this team, right? I mean, over the last few months, they've beaten Chelsea twice in a month. We're, no matter what's going on at Chelsea, never easy to beat them at Stamford Bridge. They also beat them really well at Molyneux and they've beaten Manchester City and Spurs. I think for Gary O'Neill, and Nathan, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think his main focus over the next few months, beat the teams you expect to beat. You know, if you look over the next month, they have teams, I think, at home against Brentford, Sheffield United, Bournemouth at home. Those are the games I think Gary has been most frustrated about this season so far is, you know, the odd VAR decision or the odd goal they've conceded or penalty or whatever they are. Those are the games he'll want to be focusing in on and winning. Because it's great being in the top six, but you want consistency against the teams around you. Now, I'm not going to say Wolves are definitely going to get European football. but <laughs> Nathan will if, in a minute. <laughs> but, again, I think Gary Neal will say the same. If he can keep everyone fit, because he is worried about his injuries, you know, because everyone's been really good other than Neto, he's had really good luck with a lack of injuries this season. If everyone can stay fit, touch wood, then who knows? I mean, I think a top 10 finish is absolutely possible. You know, and some of the teams above them, it's quite possible being involved in Europe, they might fall off as well. So I think anything's possible. I'll hand it to Nathan to go even further. <laughs> so how many points are they off top? Let's just have it now. Um, <laughs> so look, look, um, it's, it's incredible. And the fact that they're doing so well and we're looking up towards the top of the table rather than behind is, is, is quite is quite superb, really. Look, I think that they are probably a top-half side now. Um, I think they'll probably finish mid-table, somewhere between 8th and, and 12th, which is astonishing. However, look, they're playing, and Dan said last season, you know, they were the bottom scorers in the, in the Premier League. But... When you when players are coming in, the likes of Mateus Cunha into a side that's rock bottom of the table, they're playing a certain way. You know, you're not going to score goals. That they've created their own freedom now. They've created a sense of they can be relaxed, they can play, they can show what they can do. 
And this side are defying the odds game after game after game. Gary Neal said in the press conference yesterday, you know, we want to prove people wrong every single day. And I can remember a press conference about three weeks ago and Gary O'Neill kind of hinted, he said, I've got my targets, the board have got their targets. I won't tell you what the players' targets are with a kind of like a wry grin because he knows that these players back themselves in any kind of circumstance. And when you've beaten Manchester City, when you've done the double over Chelsea, when you've beaten the top sides, you just need to finish them off now. These sides who you expected to be, as, as Dan just said there, Brentford at home coming up, being a classic example. Yes, they've got Tony, but if you're going to do something this season, if you're going to do something really special, then you've got to you've got to win. You've got to win those games. I don't think you can write this team off. What I would say, look, I don't think they will, but if they can have a sweat the last four or five games of the season where they've got to win three out of the last four to nick in to a Europa Conference League spot, my God, will I be getting excited. I mean, the, I, I, I honestly think that they're capable of. I mean, you look at the teams above them, you know, Newcastle, Brighton, West Ham, Wolves could finish in front of all those three. I know Newcastle are out of Europe, but Brighton is still in Europe. West Ham is still in Europe. So they're playing Wednesday, Sunday or Thursday, Sunday. Newcastle are going through a difficult period at this moment in time. The seventh will be enough for a Conference League spot. One of those teams have got to get it. I think Wolves have given themselves a chance, a chance of being in the hunt. I think coming into the closing stage of the season, it's still obviously a really long time away. I really think the senior players will be really important in this squad. You know, the likes of Craig Dawson, Mario Lamina, because, again, like we have to put all of this into context because Wolves have had such a strong start to the season, or first half of the season, I should say. But, again, let's not forget, it's João Gomez on the sign last January. You know, he's still very young. His first proper season in the league. And we've seen teams get tired towards the end of the season. And as Nathan mentioned, it's not the biggest squad. So I think my concern necessarily isn't results. It's just... Can this small squad keep this energy and determination for the rest of the season? You know, the likes of Tommy Dore, João Gomez, will they be able to see out this season, their first proper Premier League seasons, especially in that engine room in midfield? But, I mean, that'll be opportunity for that to be with Carl Traore. We've not really seen have a consistent spell in this Wolves team. So I think Gary O'Neill has options that he may have to kind of shape around in the second half of the season just to reinvigorate it, really, because... You know, aggression and all this stuff, that's great. But, you know, you just hope that they don't run out of steam before the end of the season. They can really keep a consistent finish in the top half. I tell you what, if they do somehow get a Europa Conference League spot or better, <laughs> Gary O'Neill's got to be manager of the season, hasn't he? He's got to be manager of the season. Be, I'll, it could come I'll, down I'll, to the... I'll only raise you. I'll only raise you by one. If Luton Go stay on. up, I think it'd okay. be the former Wolves, Rob, Rob Edwards. But if Luton don't yeah, stay either up, way, absolutely. Wolves win. Either yeah, way, Wolves exactly. win, right? <laughs> so, so going to the last game of the season, um, Klopp's farewell. Liverpool have got to win to to win the Premier League. Wolves have got to win to get a, Euro- a European spot. Wolves go and Wolves go and win two one. Gary O'Neill, honestly, he's going to be carried out of there by about four thousand Wolves fans. <laughs> Diego's so own goal, right? <laughs> this is this is what Nathan does. He's already planning the statue. It's going outside the Molyneux for Gary O'Neill already. Oh, dear. No, I was just going to say that. I mean, I I really can't like highlight enough really how impressed I've been by Gary O'Neill this season. You know, not it's very easy, I think, to forget, you know, someone doing a job in the Premier League, taking his only second management role ever really, 
you know, a few days before the season out of Manchester United and the way he's been able to change. I mean, the fact we're having this conversation is just a testament to the work he's done. And like I said, it's not necessarily just the results where they're on the table, but as I said at the very start, you know, the hope the fans have. I mean, that's all you want as a football fan, right? That when your team are down 1-0 at Stamford Bridge or in, in any game, you have hope and you see your team just work hard. And I think Nathan Gary Nielsen very early on in the season, he wants a team that he thinks represents the fans in the stands and, you know, the fans of Molyneux. And I think, I mean, you can, you'll be able to tell me more than me tell both of you, but I think that's <laughs> kind of what he's got, in my opinion. You know, you, you see that connection between him and the fans of Molyneux, especially they have a team that they're really proud of. And again, as a fan, I think that's all you can ask for. There's a lot of similarities between this team and the peak Nuno team that got promoted, what, five years ago or more, six years ago now. And and the biggest thing is, and, and Jackie Oatley tweeted uh, over the weekend uh, about it's fun. And Dan touched on it earlier. It's fun. To watch this team is fun now. And even when they lost 4-3, it was a fun game. You had mm-hmm. the drama at the end of it. And, and listen, fingers crossed, touch words, whatever lucky charm you have that it keeps going because we, we know, Nathan, from that Bruno Large season that we were in a, a similar position we were. And, it, and it slipped. And that's the challenge now, isn't it? Don't let it slip. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I don't think they will. I think there's a professionalism there. I think Gary Neal's come and he's brought it in. He's brought that not just on the pitch, not just in, in, in the games, but at Compton Park, Mikey. You know, he's, he's brought that professionalism back. He's brought that belief back to this setup and you know obviously speaks to the fans a lot before afterwards and the job he's done Mikey the job that Gary Neal has done look when Lopetegui left like I think a lot of people worried I was quite worried you know because let's be honest let's give him his credit he did a fantastic job when he was here he got them way out the you know way out of the relegation zone and they comfortably finished outside of relegation fair enough but there were obviously issues there and no disrespect to Gary O'Neill, but when, when you go from Lopetegui to Gary O'Neill, the fans are a little bit frustrated. They're like, it's not a sexy name, Gary O'Neill, is it? I mean, Gary O'Neill could be very sexy. He's a very, very sexy man, but, you know, <laughs> I have to ask his wife that. But at the same time, it's, you could understand that there was a little bit of hesitance, a little bit of reluctance, a little bit of, you know, from the fans' point of view to to see, well, what's going to happen? And then they went to Manchester United and I thought they were excellent on that day. And people were like, oh, okay. Fair enough. They were they were superb. They've had some excellent results. Then they tailed off slightly. And I think when it was it was the Ipswich game in the Carabao Cup where they really struggled. And I think there was almost the fans were like, okay, we're maybe not having Gary Neal too much. It's not quite happening here. Do we need to move on? Very early, as fans do. But since then, some of the characters, some of the games have shown some of the big results they've had. Football fans are very fickle. And I've never seen fans interviewing who are coming up to the camera and saying, Nathan, I want to speak to you. I want to speak to the camera. I want to tweet. I want to say, I was wrong about Gary O'Neill. I was wrong. I am complete convert. He is superb. He's, he's made me love my club again. And for someone to change people's opinions and for them to actually want to say that is quite astonishing. Um, he's done an amazing job. I think he's very... He, he he's very good with the media. He's obviously got the players playing for him. I took a video yesterday when he's doing the fists up in front of the in front of the fans. And 
just seeing it, I saw different things in that. I saw the emotion from Gary O'Neill, of course. I saw the fans loving their team again. And I saw the players behind him who were genuinely loving it. They were going with him. They wanted to be there. They wanted to be a part of it. And that connection, as Dan said previously, has come back. And I think it was lost a little bit over the last 12 to 18 months. And the fact that that's there again, people are enjoying coming to Molyneux. They're enjoying going away from home. They're enjoying singing. They've had some fantastic results. They're still in the FA Cup. They're looking up in the league. It's, and we it's beat a great Albion. time. And the beat Albion, exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's fantastic and it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable to cover it. I, I'm very blessed to cover it. Um, it must be enjoyable for you to commentate on it as well. Um, it does feel like something special is happening, and you're very right, Mikey, in what you say. There are similarities from that those Nuno years and that Nuno group. And remember, he always had a small squad. And I think, you know, maybe he would like to say that to add one or two, but actually I think he quite liked it. And I think actually it, it helps Wolves having a small squad sometimes. And if they can stay fit, and it's a big if, then they could do something special. Wolves Weekly with Mikey Burrows. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.